Warren, I really thank you for the work that you put into preparing for the early worship, the songs, the perfect, and a couple of them, I resonated right with what Dick said this morning in our equipping hour, that you are the healer, and so God has used Dick and used us too to be a healing for many people around us. As, you, as Warren has said several times, my name is Roy Burdan. I'm one of the elders here. And right now, Pastor Sean and Pastor Danny and pastoral intern Shane Hamstra, as well as Elder Joel Reinhardt, are all in Chicago going to a, a pastor's conference that, that Sean invited them to. I might, might add that Joel said he wanted to go along because Sean had been teaching in Chicago, or not teaching, he'd been leading the worship in Chicago in a church for about 20 years or so. And so Joel said, I'm going along to make sure Sean comes home again. <laughs> okay, let's, the slide number, 2 Timothy 3.16. Could you pop that up there? Yeah, this is one that our Awana kids learn and it's, it's such a good one. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. One thing that I noticed when I was preparing this, that Jesus referred to the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, more than any other prophet. That's interesting. And I looked in the book of Matthew and, and started to write down the number. And I count 16 times that Matthew referred back to Daniel. Some of them were Jesus' own words. So I began to really think through that. So I'd invite you to turn to the book of Daniel with me. It's after the, the three major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then you come to this short chapter uh, 12 chapters of Daniel. And if you look at uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 23, this is a, is that where we're at right now? Yes, this is, uh, there's a phrase in there that I want you to catch on. As soon as he, you begin to pray, this is an angel that was talking to Daniel. And so if you look in the background of this, you'll find that Daniel had been praying and an angel came and talked to him. He says, as soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. That phrase, you are highly esteemed, caught my, my attention. What was it about Daniel that an angel would call him to be highly esteemed? Look on to the next one, chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. It says, this is Jesus, I think Jesus talking to, to Daniel. It says, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Next one, he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up. Go on to verse 11. No, oh, that's verse 11, verse 19 of the same chapter. Uh, it says, do not be afraid. This is still Jesus talking. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong. Be strong. Well, my question I want to present to you is there, what is there about Daniel that caused God, caused this angel to say, you are highly esteemed? And to carry that thought through, is it possible that God might say the same thing to you and me? 
to those who are his disciples? What is it? So I want to look back at the book of Daniel. Oh, before that, there's another one. Proverbs 22, verse 1. What does it say there? It says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. What does esteemed mean? I wrote down from Webster's. It means to be highly regarded, to be admired, to, to be regarded favorably. So, with that in mind, let's, let's pray for a moment. Lord God, I pray that you might take your word, open it up to us, help us to understand it. And as Pastor Sean says, may we not only hear it, but may we believe it and obey it. We ask you, because you said that the Holy Spirit was sent to, to teach us and to help us understand what you said. So let's with that in mind, now we want to say amen. So let's look at this. There's hardly room to put all my papers here. So, um, first one is Daniel in Babylon. I'm going to look at the very first couple of verses. Uh, incidentally, I'm not going to write everything that I say, all the scripture down, because that would take way too much time. But if, if you have your book, turn to Daniel chapter 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 2, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. You may say, what in the world is happening? How could God's chosen people and the people in Jerusalem, God's chosen city, how could they be taken captive? What happened? You might recall the, the equipping hour that Daniel, I mean, um, Garrett had last, last spring, and he, he was talking about the rewards and how there's consequences for for, being, for obeying God. In fact, he, we looked at the book of Deuteronomy for a few minutes, and there is like, um, I believe, 16 verses that said, if you obey God, God will bless you this way. And it's wonderful blessings. You need to look that up. Daniel, Deuteronomy chapter 28. But then from verse 16 through 64, more than twice as many, it outlines a number of things that would happen if they were disobedient. What does verse 38, no, 36 say? Do you have that? It's right here. The Lord will drive you and the king you set over you to a nation unknown to you or your ancestors. That's what happened. If, if you have looked through the book of the Old Testament, you realize how many times the king, kings of Israel and the kings of Judah uh, rejected Jesus. They were disobedient. They were living in sin, atrocious sin, sacrificing their children to idols, on and on. And God said, if you do that, I will drive you from, the, from the, your land. And so Daniel, I believe, knew that. He was familiar with the Old Testament. That's one of the things that the Hebrew boys did. They, they went to school and they learned a lot of these Old Testament verses. In fact, at that time, there was a prophet named Jeremiah, and he had been pleading with the people, turn back to God. 
get leave the sin that, that you are so rampant having. Well, we continue in chapter one. Daniel is now in Babylon, and he's in school. That says that the king had an idea, which was, I think excellent. But he said, "Let's pick some of the some of the handsome young noble boys." I mean, they came from the nobility, and I want to put them in school and train them, teach them you know, all the literature and so forth of the Babylonian people, and, and I'll put them in, in office. Maybe they'll be a, a good help to me. So that's what they did. And then he decided, I want the very best for these guys. I want the best school. I want the best food and everything. But Daniel looked at that food. He said, this food has been sacrificed to idols. He said, I don't want to take that. That would be, in his mind, that would be defiling him. So he had made friends with the guy in charge. And so it says, he asked for permission, verse 8, for permission to not defile himself this way. Well, that would be a death to, the, to the, his overseer if he became skinny and, and looked sick. So I can't do that. What if, you, what if you look worse than the rest of the guys? The king's going to ask me, what's wrong with these guys? And it'll be my head. And so Daniel said, you know, let's try an experiment. How about you feed us vegetables and water for 10 days and see what happens? Well, lo and behold, after 10 days, they looked healthier. In my version, actually says fatter than, than the rest of the guys. And so it's going to work. So he continued with that. So keep in mind, that's one thing. Daniel didn't say, I'm not going to eat this. He asked permission. He was tactful. He was polite. So as I'm going through this, try to, try to pick out things. Is What did Daniel do or say or think? What did he do that would cause God to say you are highly esteemed? That could be one of them. He was polite. Um, he was willing to take, take orders. Well, continuing on, at the end of these three years, the king tested them. And I can hardly imagine it, but in every matter of wisdom and understanding, it says in verse 20, which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. You know, us, us young students, that might be an interesting um, test to say. Next time, before you take a test, ask your mom, would you fix me a nice big salad with lettuce and carrots and celery and peas? And I'm going to see if I do better on the test. I don't know if that would help or not. I never tried it. So that's where chapter one. Chapter two... Um, Oh, another thing I wanted to touch on is Proverbs chapter 6. Another passage that very likely Daniel was very familiar with because it had been written by Solomon. And he says that there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. What are they? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, Feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. I, when I was looking through the, this text here, I tried to say, is, did Daniel do any of those things? And the, the answer is, I couldn't see anything. So Daniel was trying to, 
if, if God hates those, Daniel was trying to live a life that, that, of what God loved. Do you, are you haughty? Daniel wasn't. He was, he was polite and so forth with the, with the overseer. Another interesting thing about Daniel, it says in verse 17 that Daniel could understand visions and dreams. What an amazing thought that was. Well, that's what happened in chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, he had a dream, and he decided it really bothered him. He said, I'm, I want to know what this dream means. So he summoned all the wise guys, all the enchanters and so forth, said, I, I'm, I have a dream. I want you to tell me what it means. In fact, I'm so, so, so definitely want to know what it means. I want you to tell me what the dream was as well. So if you can do that, I'm going to elevate you in, my office, in your office. If you don't, I'm going to put you to death. Well, the guy said in verse 10, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal to the king except the gods, and they don't live among men. That really upset the king. And he ordered the soldiers, kill every one of these guys. I'm amazed at what a lack of respect for, for life that Nebuchadnezzar had. But uh, the, Daniel spoke in verse 14. He says, Daniel spoke to this guard that had gone, come to get him and said, Why is there such a, a harsh decree? And so that man explained it to him. And so Daniel went to the king and said, could you give me some time to interpret the dream? Well, that's what the king wanted. He said, well, sure, I'll give you a day or so. So Daniel went home and asked his other three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would you pray for me that I can get, understand what this dream is and explain it? Otherwise, our lives are, are toast. And during the night, verse 19, it says, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Well, that caught my eye too. Daniel is praising God. And he goes back to the king, and the king says, "Um, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner, can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven, and he can reveal mysteries. And then Daniel went ahead and and told the king what the dream was, and more than that, what it meant. He says the great, in verse 45, he says, The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is worthy, trustworthy. I might... Uh, take a moment here to plug Jerry Johnson. A couple of years ago, he, he went, took us a, a class and taught us through the book of Daniel, all the different dreams and all the different uh, aspects that, that God had shown Daniel. And that was really a, a fine class. I really enjoyed it. So if you want to study this more, go call Jerry and say, come teach another class. So where are we now? Let's, let's think back what, about Daniel. What, what happened to him? Well, he was uprooted from his hometown. He was placed in a, in a foreign country. He was basically a slave. 
He, he could have been bitter, but we don't see that. He could have been reluctant to obey, but we don't see that. He could have had really bad attitudes, what my wife used to call DRA, a dirty, rotten attitude. He didn't seem to have that. He was polite. He was humble. He was hardworking. And now he was in trusted office. So, are all those things important? Is that why God chose him and said, you are highly exalted? Let's keep going. In chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, and set it up in the, I think it's probably like a desert. And then he assembled all all these wise guys and said, I want you to bow down and worship this when you hear all the sound of, of beautiful music. I tried to estimate about how high the ridge is in our ceiling. It's probably approaching 30 feet. So imagine a statue three times higher than the point of our ceiling. It's pretty impressive. But anyway, the idea was when you hear the sound of music, everybody had to bow down and worship this. That was... Um, oops, I missed a page here. That was very much against biblical, uh, the Ten Commandments. Do you have Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 and 5? It says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. I think that Daniel and his friends knew that, incidentally, Daniel isn't even mentioned in this chapter, but I suspect that he would have had exactly the same attitude that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. But anyway, they knew this, this verse that you can't, you should not bow down to any idol and you worship him. Just a footnote, sometimes it's right to not obey a government order if we are being asked to disobey a clear commandment of God. These guys said, we will not do that. Well, lo and behold, everybody else is bowing down to the statue, but you see these three guys standing up and I'm sure it caught everyone's attention. So they went to the king and said, didn't you tell us that we were supposed to bow down to this? Well, there's three guys over here that are not doing it. Well, that king went and talked to those guys and said, I'm willing to overlook this this infraction of my orders if you will just do it now. So when you hear the music, bow down. And what did they say? Um, Oh, and if you don't, I'm going to throw you into a blazing furnace. And what did he answer in verse 19? O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That really upset the king, and so he had the furnace heated seven times hotter, they took the strongest soldiers in his army, threw them in. It was so hot that they, they died. And then the king, wait a minute. I never was real good at math, but how many people did we throw in there? 
And they said, oh, there's three, all right. And he said, but look, I see four walking around, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. He said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come forth. And they did, and they, they looked at him. The ropes had been burned off. Their clothing wasn't sinned, wasn't burned at all. They, they didn't smell like smoke. Their hair wasn't singed. I'm amazed at how quickly Nebuchadnezzar can change his mind from being furious to, in verse 29, he says, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. But back to the, the question, is that, would that qualify God to say, Daniel, you are highly esteemed because you did not bow down to this image. Perhaps they had part of it. Chapter 4. Uh, Daniel interprets again. and This is a, a, a time when uh, Nebuchadnezzar had another dream, but this time he didn't ask him to tell him what the dream was. And once again, Daniel was able to explain it to him and a little bit different here that Daniel, as he, as he began to think about it, it says that in verse 19, he was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, or Belteshazzar, that's his, that's his name that he had given Daniel, do not let the dream or its meaning harm you, or, excuse me, alarm you. And we read, as we keep reading, that Daniel realized that the, the route that King Nebuchadnezzar is going, his life is filled with pride and arrogance, and he's perhaps the, the willingness to kill people, so in a, in a heartbeat like that, it, it was wrong, and so God was going to put him down. God is going to put him in a place of, of humility. And so Daniel said, I, oh, therefore, O king, in verse 27, please be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the, to the oppressed. It may be that then that your prosperity will continue. Well, Daniel, excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar, about a year later, was walking around. He said, look at this beautiful place that I have created. And the Bible says immediately he was driven um, out into the, became, became like a wild animal. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled until the times were up. When it was over, he says, Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lived forever. He does as he pleases. No one can hold his back, his hand back. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So my point is here, when I glean from that, is Daniel apparently had real compassion for the king. Even though he was his enemy in one sense, he really wanted to, to help him to avoid what was coming if he just would humble himself before God. So he gave him that good advice, which was rejected. Daniel had compassion for this genuine concern. Chapter 5, Daniel with Belshazzar. The background to this is probably about 55 years later, and... They were the city of Babylon was surrounded by the Medes and Persians, and the people were upset. And so Belshazzar, the, the new king, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, I believe, 
said, we'll bring in the gold goblets that, that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem. Let's have, them, have everyone drink wine and kind of cheer our spirits up. Well, it says that next thing he knew, um, a hand, no arm, just a hand came along and started writing on the wall. That just really freaked him out. It says his face turned pale. He was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. And then, he, uh, once again, he called the wise guys. Please tell me what's happening. What does this mean? And they couldn't explain it. So the, the queen said, don't be alarmed. There is a, a man from the, the, tribe, the people of Jerusalem that can explain it. So Daniel was brought before the king. And Daniel answered the king in verse 17. After the king said, well, I will elevate you to, to prominence if you can explain this. And Daniel said, you may keep your gifts. Nevertheless, I will tell you what it means. And he did. He said, when, when Nebuchadnezzar was proud and arrogant, God humbled him. And you knew that. But nevertheless, you ignored that. You kept on leading a life of uh, <laughs> whatever, which was not honoring to God. And that very night, it says in verse 30, that Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over. So from that I learned that Daniel was even willing to confront a king. You know, that could have been his life right there too. He said, don't you dare talk to me that way. But he was willing to say, what you are doing is wrong. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your time is up. And that very night, God took his life. Chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den. One thing that's about this book that's so neat is it really lends itself to, to Sunday school kids. You know, all of us have heard stories about Daniel in the lion's den or Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But in this one, now it's probably a good 55 years later, Darius, the new, new king, had appointed, there's 120 provinces, and he's just a, so he kind of had somebody in charge of everything. And he's, there were three guys that were in charge of those 120. But there was one guy named Daniel that so distinguished himself that the king was thinking, Daniel is so good at this, I'm going to put him in charge of everybody. Well, that made the rest of the guys jealous. And so they said, let's dig up some dirt about Daniel so that he won't get this position in the king. They couldn't find any. Daniel was so honest, a man of integrity, they couldn't find anything wrong with him that they could go back to the king and accuse him of. They said, the only thing we can do is if we get the king to make a new law that will be against his religion, his faith in God, which they came up with the idea, let's, king, let's make a decree that no one can pray to anybody except you for the next 30 days. What does it say? When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. They promptly went back to the king and said, did you make a decree? He said, oh yeah, it can't be revoked. If once a law is written, you can't change it. They said, well, Daniel is not paying attention to what you told him. He's still praying to his God. Um, apparently, the king really held Daniel in high esteem. 
as well as everybody else, God and the angels. Because it says in verse 14, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. This men went as a group back to him and said, you've got to keep that decree. You've got to follow it because nothing can be changed. So the kings gave the order. They threw Daniel in the lion's den. And you know what he said? The king said, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Even that would be enough for a lot of rulers to say, I'm, I don't want you to serve anybody but me. But he recognized Daniel served God. And he's, in verse um, 20, he says that he spent the night worrying about it. He didn't eat dinner. He ran the next morning to see, and he said, Daniel, probably looked down in the den, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. So in verse 28, it says, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So what, what could have Daniel been like? I think that he had real faith in God. I have done nothing wrong. I'm going to just give my life to the Lord. If I die, I die, but God will spare me if he wants to. So he had a real trust in God. There's one more, just a couple of verses in chapter 9. We're still in the, the Medes and Persians. It says, um, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede, uh, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and in ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. So what I get from that is Daniel read scripture. Daniel was reading the, the prophet Jeremiah. And Daniel not only read it, but he was believing it. He read in there where Jeremiah said that the desolation will last 70 years. He got to thinking, well, let's see, I was about 14 when I got here, and I'm 84 now. That's 70 years. God's going to fulfill this promise probably this year. And so then the rest of the chapter is just the most incredible prayer of, of confession and admitting the sin of the people as why they were there in the first place and, and beseeching God to keep his word. Um, so there again, Daniel believed God and he trusted God. And so what I want to do next is think, well, if I do everything that Daniel did, if I'm humble, if you're humble, if I'm tactful, and if you are, the Bible says, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. If you're dependable, if you do your best every time you have a job, if you have genuine care for those around you, if you're not bitter when something bad happens to you, if you're not deceitful but completely honest, 
Remember, they could find nothing to charge him with. If you're resolved to follow God's or honor God's law and not defile yourself, if you're willing to confront sin, even if it's a, the king of the nation, if you completely trust God, even if you get thrown in the lion's den, if you have all these qualities, would God say to you and me, okay, you are highly esteemed. I think there has to be more that I'm not pulling out of this, this text. And so I want to look at a number of other scriptures. And I think that the danger we might have is you can pick a verse and that becomes your life verse and forget that there's 31,000 other verses that may, may have a little bit different take on that. So that's what I want to do next for the few, next few minutes. And so... Let's look at Romans chapter 3. Is that what that one is? Yeah, chapter 3, verses 20 through 23. It says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight through the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I could say, well, on basis of that verse, Daniel might have done all these good things, but it still says that he's a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The next one, verse 623, Romans 623, that says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That kind of tempers what we're seeing in the book of Daniel, that God has given a gift of eternal life. Let's look at the next verse, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The word justified there is kind of a, a banking term. To be justified is, means to be declared righteous. In other words, it's taken the, the account and put it in your, your bank account and said, I declare you righteous. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. What was the next one? Verse chapter 5, verse 1. says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep trying to put that back in, in Daniel. He's doing all these things, but perhaps there's, there's an element of faith that, that we, we could easily overlook. What was the next one? Romans, or oh, 1 Timothy 6.11. It says, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. That's what we should be striving for. And then, is it Romans 5.1? There it is. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. There's that attitude of belief again. There's, you believe what God has done and it will credit it 
be credited to your account. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I see that a lot in Daniel. It's, it's, not, really, it's not really evident when you just read the, the text, but that must have been the background of his, of, his, of his heart. It was, I want to please God, and by faith I will do my best while I'm here. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And was it James 2.17? That's the next one. Here's a, a kind of a catcher. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Pastor Sean led us through the book of James several weeks ago. And that's one of the verses. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And how about James 2.24? You have that? You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Well, plug Daniel into that verse. He not only believed God, but he made a point of doing what God called him to do. He, he chose to be righteous, to be godly, to be faithful day after day. What's first, or 2 Corinthians 13.5? This comes right to home. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. What does Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say? It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. I love that verse. You trust in God, and he will make your path straight. You wonder, well, what, how should I be living? What should I be doing? Just trust in God, and he will, he will make your path straight. You say, I'm going to try to earn my way into heaven by doing good works. It won't work. There's a combination of believing in what Jesus said and then doing what he says to you. So in summary, I'd like to look at, I don't know if I have Romans 12, 1. Yeah, I do have it up there. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I think that that's what Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They said, we want to live for you, God, even though we're in a place of danger even though our lives could be snuffed out in a moment, nevertheless, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to you. And that still applies to us today. Living sacrifice. The sobering thing is, the Bible makes it clear too, that there's going to come a time when God will, will bring about his judgment and people will say, well, I have done this and this and this and this. Therefore, I, you need to welcome me into heaven. And God's response is, depart from me. I never knew you. That is sobering. We need to make sure that our hearts are in faith, trusting God. And then when he promises to do service, that we obey. That's back to what Pastor Sean said when he opens a scripture, he said, may we hear, or may we read and hear and obey 
what this scripture teaches us. Warren, would you lead us in our last song?